Hi everybody, welcome to another exciting episode of Creekside Outdoors. I'm your host, Eric Miller, and i got a special guest with me this week. Uh, my guest is Dick Bodenhorn from uh, the Pennsylvania Game Commission, and Dick is a wildlife conservation officer. And Dick, thank you very much for taking the time to, to join me tonight, and, and uh, welcome to the show. Pleased to be with you. All right. Now, th- did I get your last name right? Is that correct? Bodenhorn? Yes, Bodenhorn. Excellent. correct. Excellent. So, uh, let's start off with... You're a conservation officer for the Game Commission. How many years have you been doing that? Well, I started out as a deputy uh, back in 1977, and then after about eight years, went to the Game Commission training school. So I've been a full-time officer for uh, a little over 20 years. Really? And uh, I guess about 29 years altogether. Okay. Now, what dist- were you always, you're in the north-central part. What? Uh... Yes, I have the western half of Elk County. Elk County is uh, split into two districts. Okay. The- an eastern district and a western district. I have the western half. Okay. Have you? Has that always been your your district, or did you yes, move around? I came here directly out of the training. School, okay. Yes. Excellent. Now, the reason I wanted to talk to you because you've got this habitat tour going on, which is, in my opinion, one of the best things going right now because it, it uh, you know, it explains to people what you know, what deer damage looks like and and you know what can happen if it's not corrected. Um, how long have you been doing the habitat tours? Oh, I guess I've probably been doing habitat tours in some capacity or another the entire time I've been here. Okay. Although uh, they have greatly accelerated uh, over the last, uh, probably the last uh, eight or ten years. Okay. Uh, due to some exclosures that mm-hmm. were constructed uh, back in the back in the mid nineties. Okay. That made it a lot easier to, to highlight some of the some of the points that sure. we're trying to make. Now, you, you hit on exclosures. That's, you know, probably the best, uh, you know, example you can give, you know, as far as what's going on, in, uh, you know, with your habitat, because there's, you know, there's areas where there's no deer, and then you have right, you know, right around it where the, where the deer are spending their, you know, their day. Um, in, in your opinion, has that helped, you know, Oh, absolutely. Show people uh, what's going on. It's absolutely made a tremendous difference. Uh, prior to having the exclosures, I mean, we just had, you know, open woods, and, and uh, hunters would tell us, hey, there are no deer. Uh, and believe me, this isn't something new. I mean, I've been hearing this no deer thing for over 30 years. Sure. And, uh, you know, so it's not a new complaint. You know, mm-hmm. It's been going on forever. But uh, people would tell us, hey, there are no deer, and we'd say, well, you know, the habitat's poor. And they'd say, well, you know, the reason is, is and they named them off, uh, lack of fires, you know, mm. the, uh, the acid rain, that we cut it at the wrong time, uh, you know, we need, we need uh, to cut bigger areas. And meantime, we had areas that had been cut, and some of them pretty large areas that were basically total failures. Sure. So we told them, well, hey, let's put some small fences. You know, mm-hmm. and when I say small fences, I'm talking, you know, some of them, you know, like 10 foot by 10 foot, 20 foot by 20 foot. Right. You know, just randomly selected all over. Uh, some of them in clear cuts, some of them in mature forest. Mm-hmm. And some of them we put up just plain and simply because we wanted to find out whether it was deer. Right. In some areas we didn't know. Uh, so we put up... There are over a hundred of these small fences across my district, and, and are they on Del County? Really? Are they on strictly game lands? Uh, the ones that we constructed are now. Okay. Th- there are some small fences that were put up by the National Forest, mm-hmm. uh, which 
actually has a, a pretty sizable chunk of property in my district. Sure. My district has, uh, um, I'd have to think right now, uh, probably about 50,000 acres mm-hmm. uh, of the National Forest on it. So it, there's a pretty good chunk of it here. Right. Now, with with these you know, the fences, you know, I, I, you know, I understand why they did it. Could you maybe explain, you know, for, for a listener who may not understand, okay, why would you put a fence up, you know, randomly in, in different areas? Maybe explain, you know, the purpose of it and, and you know, what, what you're looking for with that. Okay, the fences are, you know, they're, they're relatively small. You know, uh, they're only about eight foot tall mm-hmm. um, in most areas. In some areas, not even quite that tall. But uh, we put them up basically just to see what would grow inside the fence versus what was growing outside the fence. Right. And, uh, you know, the first ones we put up were in a place where we had had a clear cut. It had been clear cut in 1990, and by 1996, uh, there was still nothing growing there. Right. Uh, So we put some small fences up in it. And by the very next year, after just one growing season, you could see a tremendous difference between inside the fence and sure. outside the fence. So that, of course, spurred us to want to look at this in more depth in other areas. Right. And at the time, we had a, a PCC, which is a Pennsylvania Conservation Corps mm-hmm. group here in Elk County. Um, so we could use them for the labor for constructing these fences. Sure. So, um, the land manager, John Zemian, here, uh, you know, jumped on that and uh, uh, turned it into a, a wonderful educational opportunity. Sure, absolutely. We've, we've expanded on it. Mm-hmm. Now, with the, the fences, just for clarification purposes, nothing else was done. There was no lime. There was there was no, nothing no. like that. It was just a fence put up in a, it's, basically it's exactly in a random spot. Same, it's exactly the same inside the fence as it is outside the fence right. in almost all cases. Now, I will say that some of the fences, you know, since then, uh, you know, we have planted some crab apple trees in mm-hmm. a few of them, uh, strictly because those are the only places we could get crab apples to grow. Sure. You know, uh, and, and we'll tell people which ones we put them in, you know, and, sure. and you can see them there. Uh, the crab apple trees didn't come there naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there are just a few fences that we right. did that, but... Uh, uh, no, nothing was ever treated in them. The same rain falls yep. in them that falls outside them. Nothing was limed, fertilized. Uh, nothing was burned. It's exactly the same yep. inside as outside. Yeah, and it, it's, it's funny that, you know, I, I interviewed Merlin Benner from the, the uh, DCNR uh, about a month ago, a month or two ago, and he said the exact same thing. He said, yeah, there are areas where we're going in and chopping up the mountain laurel. He said, but there's no lime done. There, there's really, it's, it's a fence put up. You know, in some instances, like you said, it's cut. In some instances, they just put them up in, in, you know, random forest sections. And, you know, they're getting the same results. So, you know, for the conspiracy theorists out there, you know, that's got to be, it's got to shoot them in the foot. Because Actually, it, one of the ones that is just absolutely the most impressive to me, and it's, and it's not one of the ones we generally stop at on our tours, mm-hmm. because it's kind of out of the way, and, and uh, we frequently can't get to it during the tours but uh it it was an area that you know basically there was just nothing growing there Mm -hmm. even the mountain laurel was only inches tall um really and and everybody said that it it would never grow there because the topsoil was burned off from 
repeated fires from back in the railroad, the old steam railroading sure. days, and then it was burned. Mm-hmm. Um, but we put a fence up on it, a small fence, and it, it is absolutely amazing. After, well, I guess about, uh, I guess it's been about eight years now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is just full of mountain laurel and and uh, eastern hemlock. You know, yep. it's it just it's just amazing. I had no idea that that the deer were actually preventing mountain laurel from growing. Yeah. Now, the, the, back when you were putting these fences up, deer densities obviously are down now, which is you know a good oh, thing. Certainly. What? Yes. How high or how? I don't want to use the word bad, but how high were the deer densities back then? You know, now now that you think and, and you see, well, geez, not even the mountain laurel was was growing very tall. You know, there had to have been a substantial amount of deer back there. Can you you know give us an idea of you know maybe what you were looking at? It's it's really hard to say. Uh, I mean, deer densities range, you know, and they still range from probably, you know, some areas are going to support 60 deer per square mile, and some areas are going to support darn near zero deer right. per yeah. mile. You know, and it and it's always been somewhat habitat dependent. Um, it, you know, back when we started this, back in the in the in the 90s, you know, the mid 90s, uh, I believe deer densities were you know, fairly significant mm-hmm. in this area, you know, on a whole, uh, certainly higher than they are today. Sure. Um, it, you know, to put a number with it, I, I'm very hesitant to do that sure, yeah. because I've never really believed in in assigning numbers to it to start with. Uh, the, the thing that was so obvious is that, that there were more deer than what the habitat could sustain. Mm-hmm. And and uh, both the deer and the habitat were, were proving that to sure. us. What species? The other, the other thing that becomes very important up here, though, is, I mean, we have uh, uh, some pretty rugged country in places, mm-hmm. and uh, you can have beautiful habitat on top of the mountains and the ridge tops, and uh, when you get deep snows, mm-hmm. uh, it, it is of no value to the deer at sure, all. Sure, sure. Because the deer get forced into the wintering grounds and the lowlands, mm-hmm. and I've seen it in, in years where you'd have uh, dozens of dead deer. Uh, in the wintering grounds, and, and just a few hundred yards up the up the side of the mountain, there's a clear cut that just got beautiful under understory, sure. and, you know, beautiful new growth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, just hundreds of yards away, you can have beautiful habitat, but it's of no benefit to the deer if they can't get to it. Sure. Uh, I, I was going to ask you, what species are you seeing? You know, now now that the densities have been down for for you know a few years, are there are any particular species that you're seeing? more of that you saw less of you know say say oh, 10 oh, years sure. ago um you know it, it's it's really amazing as you walk around these fences in the winter time mm-hmm. uh and, and they're just small fences but you know th- there are some that encompass maybe a couple of acres mm-hmm. in, in some of the larger ones uh and if you walk around some of these fences there <laughs> there are in the winter time with snow on the ground you just can't believe it. There are rabbit tracks really? all around. I mean, you're out. I mean, you're not around any farmland. Mm-hmm. There's no farmland for miles. And out in the middle of the mature forest, all of a sudden, rabbits yeah. show up everywhere in these in these clear cuts. Mm-hmm. I believe if they were larger, we'd probably also see uh, you know an increase in the, in the number of snowshoe hares sure. utilizing. Sure. Uh, certainly, grouse use them, mm-hmm. uh, and and songbirds. You know. Uh, I frequently hear people saying, well, who cares about songbirds? Yeah. Well, 
probably if we had been managing for uh, warblers and vireos, uh, you know, all along, or various types of songbirds, mm-hmm. uh, we'd undoubtedly have a heck of a lot more deer today than we have uh, sure. now. Yeah, I yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about with the rabbits because uh, you know right behind my house it's it's really thick and the the rabbits are you know through the roof. I can't imagine you know I can't believe the the amount of rabbits we have here. So you know it, when you have the habitat you're going to have you know you're going to have the critters. So um, you know that's that's definitely a you know yeah. So a plus. When, when you have when you have the habitat once once the habitat comes back then you can also have more deer. Mm-hmm. You know and, yep. and that's another thing that people don't really sometimes understand that they think that that we can just let the deer population build up and then create the habitats to, to match the deer population sure. and that totally defies the laws of nature yep. nature never allows that yeah, to it's happen. completely backwards yeah you have to have the habitat first yep. and if you have the habitat then the wildlife populations will increase to match that habitat absolutely if you lose the habitat the wildlife populations decline absolutely. to meet that habitat as well um, we touched a little bit on, on you know, uh, the rabbits. What, and are there any trees that you're seeing now that you in, in the you know, the exposures uh, that you haven't before? Sure, I'm. I'm starting to see things growing out there that that uh, you know I have to scratch my head and, and figure <laughs> out. Okay, what am I looking at here? Uh, it, you know, uh, there, there's one of our fences that's full of mountain ash. Oh, really? And uh, you know, and I don't know where they came from. Right, right. It's just, uh, you know, all of a sudden, here's a fence that's just filling in with mountain ash. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which you can not find mountain ash outside of the fences. Sure. Uh, hobble bushes is starting to show up uh, in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, tulip poplar, basswood, cucumber, magnolia. Uh, you know, are all showing up in our sure. fences. Plus, of course, the things you'd expect—the maples and the oaks—are mm-hmm. there as well. Are you seeing a lot of viburnum? Uh, the reason I ask is. Uh, in talking to Merlin, they, uh, they use that as an indicator species. Um, in in some places, we're starting to see some. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that we're seeing a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here yet. Uh, you know, and, and probably because it's been absent from from our forest stands for so long right. that it's just going to take a little while sure. yet to get it going. Sure. But uh, so, I mean, you so know, the, with more time, I think those things are going to show up. Sure. Now, I I had heard um, that you're you're doing these tours on your own time. Is that is that correct? Uh, actually, no. I do the tour itself on on game commission time. Okay. Um, you know, uh, no, okay. I've done tours on my own time. Okay. Uh, but mostly, you know, the, the commission is paying or paying me for doing the tour. Okay. Probably what some people are maybe alluding to is we always provide a meal afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, up until the last tour, you know, uh, Officer Zemian and I had been putting that out of our own sure. pocket. Uh, you know, and of course, with more and more people showing up, it's getting more expensive. Now, this last tour, Commissioner Rush Slyden showed up and uh, and. <laughs> Commissioner Schleiden was was so overwhelmed with it, he graciously uh, provided enough money to, uh, I'm sure, to, to very nearly, if not completely, cover the meal for the next tour. Well, that's fantastic. Now, obviously, the, I would say the, the main reason for doing it is is to just educate you know the, the public that you know th- this ship can be righted. Would, would you agree with that? Yes. Um, you know, the, the whole reason for doing it is there's just such an overwhelming story there, and, and most people 
don't understand that story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've said all along that, you know, it's really the responsibility of our agency to to do as much as we can to make people understand the, the, the deer-wildlife habitat relationships. Right. And, uh, you know, if we don't get people to where they understand that, then they can't support it. And uh, I don't know, I, my career is starting to wind down here, and uh, one thing I'd like to leave as a legacy sure. is that, that I've certainly uh, stood up to do my part to, to help people understand the, the wildlife habitat relationships better. Uh, because that's our future. Absolutely. If, if we can't if we can't get that point out there, then we cannot succeed at this wildlife management uh, uh, business. You know, it, it right. just can't happen without the support of the public. Sure, and I, you know, I, I commend you on what you've done. It's you know, it, it, it's exactly what you know. There was a niche that needed to be filled, and and you know, I commend you because you're you're right there doing exactly you know what what needs to be done, and that's you know that well, that, that actually, should be applauded. Actually, probably, uh, you know, the person that really deserves uh, really the majority of the credit would be Land Management Officer Zemi, and it's, it's uh, okay. he and his people that uh, provided the tools and the, 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 the fences and the, the manpower, everything to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, believe me, Officer Zemi is, is right there with me when we do these tours. And, That's fantastic. Uh, it's a tag team event. Sure. Uh, you know, in fact, he probably plays the lead role in most of them because uh, he is the land man. That, that's excellent to hear. Now, let me ask you this. After a tour wraps up, what's what's the feedback like? Are, are, are the, the people that go on these tours with you, are they, are they just dumbfounded that... It, yes. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the people that show up on the tours are already fairly much on board. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they have some questions in their own mind. Um, rarely do we get the ones that are the diehard you know opposition right um occasionally you get one and and i've never seen anybody leave there that wasn't pretty much in awe at what they had learned and and overwhelmingly people say you've got to get this message out to the 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 representatives to the to our state legislature uh to the people on the commission to uh to, to more people, mm-hmm. and uh, we tell them, "Hey, we try. Sure. <laughs> you know, figure out a way to get them here." Yeah, um, and, and we've had busloads of people come from, uh, you know, like from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had busloads of people show up. Now, how uh, many tours a year do, are you doing? Right now, we do, uh, you know, two public tours mm-hmm. uh, that we advertise to the public, um, and then we do other tours. We do tours sometimes for some of our own personnel, uh, like we do tours for. When we have a new class going through, we do tours for them. Okay. Um, we do tours for, you know, like groups. Uh, you know, like if somebody contacts us and says, hey, we've got a group, uh, you know, 20 people that would like to do the tour, or even five people that would like to do the tour, uh, we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it may just be one officer, and it may be somewhat abbreviated. And uh, I do private tours, too. Okay. Uh, you know, if it's a key person uh, that you know, has the means of reaching more people, I'll do a private tour mm-hmm. for them. Uh, and I'll, I, I usually do, you know, two or three, four of those a year. So. Good. Now, somebody comes on the tour, what's, what is the most common question that, that you're faced with? What, what's, there's, there's got to be you know, one sticking point that just about everybody, you know, asks. Well, in, in your opinion, what do, you, what do you think that is? Most people want to know how many deer are causing this. And, um, uh, again, that's something that varies from area to area. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Um, I can tell you that uh, one of our primary areas, the first area we go to with the most fences, uh, there was a time during the winter just a few years ago where you could stop there and see maybe 30 deer there in an evening before really? dark. Uh, in more recent years, you might only see four or five deer there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I think I think that varies from sure. time period to time period and, and situation to situation. Uh, I mean, certainly we don't have nearly as many deer here right now as we had. Uh, well, that may be changing. Right, right. Th- this year looks very positive. Does it? The past few years, uh, due to the harsh winter and, and mass crop conditions we'd had for three years in a row, why uh, there was no question our deer populations were greatly reduced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and most people blame that on the hunters, but uh, you know I don't think it was the hunters. I, I think it was the environmental conditions sure. uh, reducing the fawn recruitment rates. Uh, maybe in, in some areas, in combination with uh, you know maybe some higher harvest than mm-hmm. what than what we would have normally had. Right. But uh, the biggest culprit was the environmental conditions. Sure. Now, you do, you, you're involved with the road surveys uh, as well, correct? Yes. Uh, you know, I have volunteer teams that do uh, wildlife survey routes. They do the same route every year mm-hmm. uh, and have for, I'd have to look it up, uh, quite a number of years, you know, like maybe seven or eight years. Um, maybe even longer than that, okay. I guess, now that I think about it. But, uh, it, you know, so we do have some data there. Primarily what we're looking at there is, is actually the fawn recruitment rates for the year, trying uh, trying to get a handle on that. Sure. I think that's maybe one of the areas where, in biological data, maybe we're lacking the most. Okay. Uh, and it, it's an area I wish we could get a better grip on. But uh, it, it's something that's very hard to monitor and gauge. Sure. So. Now, when you're doing that, are are you uh, you doing it in the you know in the summer looking for um, uh, you're looking for for fawns? Or are you actually doing it in the winter where you're, you're checking roadkill deer, uh, roadkill does? Okay. Well, actually, that's two different things. Um, it, from the first of February to the first of June every year, every officer in the state virtually uh, female deer that are hit on the highway. Now we're doing embryo checks mm-hmm. on those does. What we do is we pick the doe up, then we get to someplace and we'll cut it open, mm-hmm. count the number of embryos that are in it, and then we also have a gauge. You know, we determine the sex of the embryos, and you can determine the sex from the time they're very tiny, sure. you know, up through mm-hmm. to, to the time they'd be born. But uh, uh, we also take a measurement. We've got a special chart that's or actually a scale that we can place these on, take a measurement, and then from that measurement, we can determine how many days old that embryo mm-hmm. is. And then the, there's also a chart on it where we can see what day it was killed and start subtracting the number of days old it is and uh, actually determine when that doe was bred. Right. Uh, you know, so we do that. Uh, and that, of course, then gives us, uh, you know, the breeding rates. Sure. And also the reproductive rates or... You know the number of fawns that would be born per bred doe, which basically tells you what the number of fawns per doe mm-hmm. would be in that you know in that unit or geographic measurement. Sure. Um, now, also, uh, you know, just knowing the number that are born is not necessarily enough because right. you know various studies show that that you can lose over ninety percent of your fawn population even after it's born from mm-hmm. nutritional factors during 
some years of, of stressed conditions. Right. Uh, you know, and stressed on the on the females. I mean, and that's without predation. So basically, you could lose the, almost the entire year's production during some years mm-hmm. if you have poor environmental conditions plus predation. Sure. Um, you know, which, so to measure you know, that, we need to have a way of measuring what that mortality after birth is, mm-hmm. and that's where you get into the recruitment factor, and sure. that's where I'm talking about uh, these survey routes where we actually have volunteers that from the 1st of August to the middle of September mm-hmm. will travel designated routes, uh, actually counting deer and separating them into categories mm-hmm. from you know a, a, an adult female to... Uh, a fawn, you know, the spike bucks, branch bucks, sure. uh, sublegal and and antlerlegal bucks, and then of course there's also a category for unknown. Sure. So. Now with with those routes um, and the fawn study that was done, you ha- did did your data kind of match up with what you know that the the Penn State fawn study was it was it close or? Um, well, <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> uh, I mean, y- you see. You see great, great fluctuations in the, the the changes in the recruitment rate from year to year. Okay. You know, when we have years like we just had, where you know you had virtually no winter and had a good mass crop on the ground through yep. all of that lack of snow cover, mm-hmm. um, the best year we ever had, there was like 12.2 percent of mortality. You know, as what would be indicated if you took the number of fawns per doe from what you get on your your uh, spring conception, mm-hmm. you know, data, and then removed the the variance of the recruitment, you know, would show like twelve point two percent of the fawns that were born didn't survive. Right, right. And then other years, uh, it'll be as high as like. Uh, without looking it up, I'd have to kind of guess at it at sixty some percent. Uh, you know, the, right. the, the, where mortality, you know, where the, from the number that were born to the number that you were actually seeing out there fawns per doe, it, it appeared that we were, had lost sixty some percent okay. of that year's fawn population after birth. You know, and so there's there's there are significant variances. Sure, there. and it's. Once again, I believe entirely based on the environmental conditions uh, that the deer faced through the winter and spring. Sure, sure. And of course, also, you know, predation plays into that, and your coyote populations, your bobcat populations, and your bear populations at that particular time will influence that. But the other things that influence it are, I'm convinced that when you have years like we had of a good acorn crop, you have more chipmunks more squirrels, uh, you know, more smaller mammals, mm-hmm. and your predators prey more significantly on them sure. and not as heavily on the fawns. So there are so many things yeah. that are into it that it's kind of hard to measure, you know, what the, what the most major effect really is. Right. Sometimes. That's, yeah, that, that's, you know, if everybody out there says there's no science involved, there you go. <laughs> there you, go. you know, and, and you've, been, you've been doing this for, for 22 years. Um, so you must have a, a pretty good database of of information, um, you know that that just you know it, it's well, right there. It, it's you know the writing's on the wall, so to speak. Well, I've also uh, you know 
our biometrician in, in Harrisburg, or who was a biometrician, now the chief of the deer management mm. program, um, you know, provided me with the, the data that I needed from their files. Uh, you know, so I have that clear back into the early 80s. Uh, you know, and I put all of that together uh, and have it all on hand yeah. uh, at these tours so that anybody that wants to sit down and look at the data uh, can do that as well. Sure. You know, uh, because the two things really go together. Yeah, you're right, absolutely. And, I, uh, and the science really is there. I mean, we have we have the scientific data to support what we've done, and, uh, you know, we can show why we did it and, and the need for it. Sure. You know, so it's all, it's all there. It's just yeah. a matter of being able to get it out to people in a, in a manner that they can understand it. And some people, uh, some people refuse the data. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, some people I just, I guess, just have made up their mind and don't want to hear anything more. Sure. Uh, that's what I, I was going to lead to my, uh, you know, to my, my next question. Uh, a, you know, during the tour, have you ever had anybody come up and say, look, you know, this, I don't believe, you know, anything that I've seen here. Uh, have, have you had anybody that just, just refuses oh, oh, to... Oh, sure. I mean, we have people that come there, and, and you can tell usually in about the first 10 to 15 minutes of them being there that they came there basically to show us that we don't know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll start, you'll hear some of their questions and everything right off the bat, and, and we address their questions. Sure. And, uh, you know, we're not afraid of questions at all, and, and we're not afraid of controversial questions and hard questions. And, and if we don't know the answer, we'll tell you. Sure. And some of them we don't know the answer to. Uh, but uh, invariably, you know, if those people stick with us, uh, uh, by the time they get through, about halfway through the first stop, um, they've all of a sudden become more quiet mm-hmm. because it's so evident. Right. And uh, by the time you're halfway through the tour... They're actually standing there, nodding their head in in, in agreement, <laughs> you know? and and you can tell that yeah you you've got them you know the, yeah. the light bulb has the light bulb has come on sure you know? so um, you know I don't think we've ever had anybody that left one of the tours that wasn't uh, sometimes sometimes they have some serious questions about whether this is occurring all over the state and I'll tell you right now it's not exactly um, right you know uh, you know there, there are many places in this state that have wonderful habitat um, but that certainly doesn't mean their habitat can't be degraded to what it is here sure right if we don't continue to aggressively manage in in those areas where the habitat Ab- is absolutely still good yeah you're absolutely and, right and, uh, so you know there's there's a whole lot to it that uh, no, I, I can't say that we've ever had anybody that left that that uh, didn't have a much better understanding of the entire deer management program than what they came with. Uh, I mean, I, that's it, hopefully people seeing you know firsthand. It, you, like like I think you said, there's you can't refute it. There's it's irrefutable evidence. You know, no, nobody messed with the soil. Nobody tilled it up. All they did was maybe cut some trees down and put up a fence. You know, or in the few instances, plant some some crab apples. But you know, it's it's there. All you have to do is is make the time and and get out and look. Uh, you know, and and again, I I think uh, you know, you guys are, are are just doing a fantastic job. And like I said before, I, I have to commend you on it because you know it's it's not easy. 
you know, and, and you're really setting yourself up for, you know, a, a shooting gallery for those people that just refuse to believe. But, you know, it, you, you can't argue with science. Um, but one, one last thing I wanted to, to ask you here. Um, in your opinion, the, the people you're seeing on the tour, are, are they starting to now maybe, uh, you know, realize that, okay, this, it's not, you know, the, this, you know, game commission wants all the deer dead, you know, issue that, that people made it out to be. Are you seeing more people start to accept that there is science behind this and it's not just, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the quote unquote grab for money or, or, you know, Oh, yes. Uh, you know, once, once they've been on the tour and, and seen everything we have to offer, they understand that the deer aren't deer, and deer certainly aren't the only problem. I mean, we have many, many sure. habitat problems. Uh, some of them we can correct, maybe, and some of them we can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we live with a lot of issues uh, that we can't correct. I mean, we have rocky outcroppings that virtually nothing's ever going to grow mm-hmm. on. Uh, many of the places that we're trying to uh, manage for wildlife populations were rejected by the farming community, and that's the reason they're not being farmed today. Right, because nothing grows on them. Uh, you know, and, and some of those things that we're never going to be able to change. Yep, and and that's a good, that's but, an excellent uh, point because I don't think you'll ever hear anybody s- say or that it was specifically the deer. You know, there's always other factors involved but they're like you said more complicated yeah. and you can't always you know correct them or, or yeah. even work on them yeah. yeah i don't think anybody in the professional segment is saying that it's all deer mm-hmm. uh sometimes we get accused of of trying to say that but really i think mostly that's the naysayers trying to paint a, a, a negative image sure. of the professionals um but uh on a whole you know, once people leave the tours, uh, they, I think, have a lot better grasp on the fact that the Game Commission is is really trying to do what's best for the wildlife mm-hmm. resources, including including the deer themselves. Sure. And for the future of hunting, yep. because uh, absolutely uh, that is that is our business. That's our livelihood. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's our entire purpose. Our entire function. And, uh, you know, we're very concerned about those sure. things. Always have been and, and hopefully always will sure. be. You know, and, and you know, I hate to reiterate, but, you know, I do you know, want to commend you guys on what you're doing with this tour because I think it's really opening up a lot of eyes. And, and at a time when there was a lot of negativity being cast at the Game Commission and, and you know, here you guys are doing this tour, you know, when right when they needed it, you know, the most. And... Um, you know, I've always been a proponent of the Game Commission. I think they're the best thing Pennsylvania sportsmen and women have going for them, and, and they're not an evil empire or anything like that. Um, and I, I think you guys are doing a terrific job. So uh, with well, that, I, I, I want to get some information. How does somebody sign up to attend one of your tours? Uh, they don't really have to sign up. Okay. Uh, you know, we advertise the tours we try to get it into the game news we get it into the local news media try to get it out to okay. various outdoor writers uh you know over the internet uh, we, we try to get the information out there uh, it, it's very helpful if we get kind of an idea you know how many people are coming right simply, simply so that my wife who starts pulling her hair out of it <laughs> in advance, you know, trying to figure out, uh, you know, what to prepare and how to prepare it and, sure. you know, how many people to prepare for. 
so it, it's kind of nice if we have an idea, okay. but uh, um, we're we're pretty flexible, okay, and so, so far we've managed to to cover everything pretty well. Good. So, so if somebody looking uh, or listening to this and looking to take the tour, just kind of uh, you know watch the game news or or sure. things like yep. along those lines. Yep. Fantastic. Hopefully, hopefully it makes it into the game news. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, if we don't get it. Into okay. Well, the I'll tell you what I'd like to do. If if you could, if you could. Uh, Keep me up to breast or send me an email, um, and I, I could you'd be more than happy to uh, include it in you know in, in my weekly broadcast to kind of you know help spread the word and, and put it on on our uh, our web page and um, you know hopefully Certainly. you know because we're our subscribership is really uh, you know it's slowly increasing and, and uh, we're nearing a thousand downloads now so um, you know people are listening and hopefully I can you know I can maybe help get the word out a little bit more so. Uh, for any, will, any listeners out there, that opportunity. <laughs> absolutely. So, any listeners out there, you check the show, and if uh, if Dick has a a tour going on, I will absolutely um, you know mention it in, in the broadcast and put it up on the web page. So, I would pretty much expect that we will have one uh, sometime either in late September or probably more realistically uh, in the first part of October. Okay. And Probably on a Sunday. Okay. Uh, since that usually runs into archery. Season, Excellent. Well, so. That's fantastic. Well, uh, I will. I will definitely check uh, in with you, Dick, and, and I will get all your information for the uh, for the next one up on the web page and, and things like that. So, well, uh, that's about all the time I, uh, I've got, Dick. But I do want to thank you very much for joining me. It's it's been a pleasure. Um, you're an outstanding guy, and, and uh, you know, thanks for joining me. And uh, you know, hopefully we've we've opened up some eyes and and. Uh, well, you know, showing shown some people some light. So, thank you. And uh, about the only thing I can ask for in return is just that you try and get more people to come to our tours. I absolutely and, uh, will the, do. Uh, the more we have, the better. I will do my best uh, to to uh, to get more people there to you. So, again, Dick, thank you very much for tuning in, and um, for all you listeners out there, thank you very much, and have a good one. This week's episode of Creekside Outdoors has been brought to you by HuntingPA.com. Pennsylvania's premier outdoor website. For all things hunting and outdoors in Pennsylvania, visit huntingpa.com.